Hi, I'm Ellen Barnett. This is Smart Women I Know, everyday women doing exceptional things. And I'm here today with, with a big coup uh, in Massachusetts. I've got the policy director for uh, someone running for governor called Jay Gonzalez, who we'll hear about more um, in the next, in the upcoming year, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, but this is Lonsdale Kister. Is that pronounced right? Kester. 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 Um, it's that German thing. And um, she, I met Lonsdale uh, when she became the executive director of Science Club for Girls. And uh, Lonsdale is kind of extraordinary in lots of ways, which you'll get to know. Lonsdale, nice to see you. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me. Okay, so you're here in Massachusetts. Um, you've been here for a little while, but I want to take you back to where you grew up, which is Tennessee, yeah? Yes, ma'am. So, um, so tell me what it was like growing up, because I know you grew up with some acreage <laughs> and in a town where everybody knows your name, um, so much so that your name has passed through generations. So, so tell Tell people. Absolutely. So I'm from Columbia, Tennessee, which is a not all that small town. It's about an hour south of Nashville, right smack in the middle of Tennessee. Uh, it's where my mother's family has been for a number of generations. Uh, grew up on a farm. I do have a family name. I share a name with my mother. I had exactly the same name as her, first, middle, and last, until I got married and I took my husband's last name. Um, also. She was named after her father, who was named after his father. So um, it was a little hard to get around town and not feel like you were in an episode of Cheers where everybody knows your name and they're always <laughs> glad you came. Um, and so it was, it was uh, hard to hide, but definitely not an experience where I wanted to hide. I was proud, it, proud it, to be me. And it's not It's not pressure-filled? No. no. It, it, it's so, so how big was the farm? A couple hundred acres, I'd say maybe 300 acres. Did they assume you were going to take over the farm? Oh, no, not at all. No. No, not at all. Now, in terms of your dad being a banker, was that also something? Was he the, I mean, is this a wonderful life scenario where um, he was the town's banker, everybody knew him, generations had worked in it, that kind of thing? Yeah, it was a, a bank started by, I guess, my great-grandfather, um, in the 30s. It's called the Middle Tennessee Bank. Uh, he ran it for several years with a whole lot of other people um, involved from the community. My grandfather um, was the president of it for a time. My cousin was president of it for a time. My dad was the president of it um, for a time. And um, it, was, it was a great thing. I think, you know, community banks are are wonderful institutions in small towns where, you know, it really, again, everybody knows your name, you know each other really deeply and for, for generations and, uh, and can make, I think, decisions about lending and community involvement and support um, that really make a difference for people and are very, very personal. And I think uh, I certainly learned from my dad um, and my grandfather to some extent, although my grandfather was retired, I think by the time I came along, but um, that in, in that world, 
I was very aware that my my dad as a business person in you know, what he was going to do at the bank or a, a particular loan would always make the most generous choice. That's the kind of person he is. Um, and do you think it still exists? It what? It, that kind of generosity. It does. I think so. I think so. I, I think if you have to look for it um, a little bit more in this day and age, and you know, in uh, but I think you'd find it all around Boston, uh, in sort of community institutions that are led by people who have been here for a, a period of time and are really committed to their neighbor and their community. I can the, think of several, uh, including financial institutions, that are like that. Is your mom an optimist? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think they both are. I think both my parents are incredibly generous, giving people. Um, and my, but in quiet ways. You will never see their name on a plaque right. at a big institution, the Lonsdale and Kelly Green wing of the blah blah blah. Somebody, like just, some would say that's old money. They're just that's just not who they are. They would they are, are, are much more private um, than that. Um, and I, my mom is just amazing. I mean, such a model to live up to. You can almost never live up to her example of whenever anyone is sick or sad or in any kind of situation of any kind, the first person to show up is my mother with just the right casserole, just the right word, just the right being there. And you just always know that she is there. Um, and she is the first person to show up. And she is the person that shows up after everybody else kind of forgets about it. Have you and, tried to model that in your life? Oh, I wish I could. Um, I, I have tried. I don't yeah. think I succeed. Uh, Does she well. know you feel this way about, about her? Well, when she listens to this, I guess she'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> when she listens to this, she's going to realize that I want to interview her now, too. Yeah, you totally do. <laughs> you totally do. It's true. Um, well, what brought you to the East Coast? I came here for graduate school. and I've, Where did you go to grad school? I went to the Kennedy School at, of Government at Harvard. With what intention? I, <laughs> I came in thinking that I was going to study the intersection between the nonprofit sector and faith-based organizations and, um, and government. And so what was that role that faith-based institutions could play in making a difference, working with government? Um, it, was, uh, it was a hot topic at the time in the early, mid-2000s. As a policy area, I had had an interest in the ordained ministry prior to that and figured out that I was not called to the ordained ministry, but uh, and, and had a really kind of almost life-changing but very brief conversation with somebody while I was in the discernment process who sat me down. Um, we had lunch together, and she looked at me, and she said, you know you can be a minister without being a priest. And it was... Um, it was a light bulb moment for me that uh, that there were so many ways. I mean, of course, like now I'm just like, oh, duh, obvious. But um, when I was 20, it was not so obvious to me. But uh, but uh, no, I mean, you're 20. Nothing is that 
clear because everything is sharp edges, isn't it? Yeah, so I was looking for a grad school where I could maybe do a public policy degree and a divinity degree in the same place, and there are not that many universities that have uh, both programs, Um, and so uh, my applications to schools focused on places where I could potentially do a joint degree. I didn't apply to joint degree programs, but I at least wanted to be in a place where I could cross-register uh, and wound up at Harvard. Um, it wound up. Wound, wound up. up at Harvard. Yeah. As, as one does. <laughs> as as one, does. one does. Did you find <laughs> the people here different than Tennessee? I mean, right now we're in the midst of a time where our country is kind of divided. Mm-hmm. And it's like... People have now started talking about the red and blue states, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad. As I, I grew up in Wisconsin, and I think I'm a hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's a, you know, one side and another side that seems to come to pass. So what do you think about? I mean, when I first came here, I honestly lived in the Cambridge Harvard academic bubble for my first two years here because I was a student and I think shame on me I rarely crossed the Charles River I think, you know primarily to go to the airport mm-hmm. uh, and I just kind of lived in a pretty closed environment and I will say that the Kennedy School does its best to be a sort of bipartisan sort of academic institution but it's it's an academic institution in Cambridge, Massachusetts, so it's kind of naturally going to be left of center, mm. shall we say. And I think the student body is, was and is primarily left, um, and I was pretty comfortable in that. It, are the people, are they, you know, you, you spoke of where you grew up, which is people that are open and generous of spirit and a community and people know your name and and I don't know if that was just because you were you mm-hmm. as a part of that family or if that was the nature of your town in Tennessee but it sounds you know it so, sounds pretty nice and pretty open and mm-hmm. and the east coast um by reputation can be harder to knock on the door and get in mm-hmm. how did you feel i um that was not my experience, to be honest. So when I finished the Kennedy School, I um, pretty much right after graduation got married, and my husband already lived here and had a job here, had a house here, so we, we kind of stayed here. I had kind of been expecting I'd go back to D.C., but, uh, but we stayed here, and it took me a little while to figure out what I wanted to do, and I, um, after a couple of false starts of you know, maybe I want to do this or thinking I had a job lined up and then not quite working out, I decided it was time to get out of the house and volunteer and get to know the community and, uh, and some people because really the only people I had known had been my classmates who had all graduated and primarily left. And so um, I, coming from a school of government, and it was pretty fresh off the 2004 election, I... Um, I thought, you know, I haven't worked on a campaign. I haven't worked in government, and I should probably. This is probably a good time to use this degree and get into that work. And it seems like a campaign would be a great place to naturally meet people. Because when you're 
involved in a political campaign, it's, it's your job to, to go out and, and talk to people and listen to people and, and be involved in things. So I sent an email to volunteer at devallpatrick.com. This is the, uh, the active race that year was the governor's race. And I had been reading about this guy, Deval Patrick, who seemed pretty interesting, um, first run for office. And I thought, you know, this campaign, they probably have some kind of volunteer thing for somebody who has literally zero experience ever campaigning. Little did I know that any campaign has room for people to have zero experience. They thrive on, on volunteers. But uh, I happened uh, to really like what I was reading about Duvall, sent this email, and was really lucky that uh, I had seen a job, a volunteer job on the website about helping the treasurer of the campaign process donations. And I thought um, that would be a really interesting thing to do and a way to learn about campaign finance in a very hands-on way. And so I volunteered to, to help with that. And you uh, were interested in campaign finance. I mean, a lot of times, women especially, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, but it's true, mm -hmm. um, shy away from that kind of role. Mm -hmm. um, you were always interested in the financial aspect of things. What, because of your father or because it came naturally to you? All of the above. I think yeah. just because of being around a bank a lot as a kid, um, like math. Uh, discovered late in my academic career that I was good at math. Uh, and I just campaign, you know, the money behind elections right. is just fascinating and continues to be uh, a very fascinating area for analysis. Was, uh, was there one thing about Duval that struck you that, that said to somebody, you know, standing outside of it who really had no experience and nothing to lose? Okay, I'm just gonna send this guy an email. Like, what? What one thing kind of stood out about this person? I liked about him that he was not a career politician. I found that appealing. I just I like the idea. I was an American studies major as an undergrad, um, and my focus was sort of on the revolutionary and early federal period. And I just I love the American idea that anybody can stand up. And, uh, and is invited to and encouraged to and expected to stand up and, and serve their community and their commonwealth and their country. Um, and that um, and it's not a hereditary thing that only certain people uh, in sort of a certain family or a certain class um, or a certain race are allowed to do. It's something that anybody can stand up and do. And I loved about him that I mean, he had an interesting resume uh, and an interesting biography, and he really felt a sense of purpose about you know, what government can be and do. So and, he was kind of a visionary, one yeah, of those guys. really do. loved the way he talked about his vision of what government was it, about. Which we all could feel some connection to at this point or need mm -hmm. sometimes because um, government shows both sides, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's important work to do in government of just like, managing the day-to-day -day and making sure it works. Um, and, but there's also a leadership aspect of making sure that it works for everybody, not just a few powerful people, but that it's 
open and accessible, um, that it has a sense of justice and fairness about it, um, and that it sees everyone and hears everyone and works for everyone. And it, it sounds like your parents sort of, and in generations of your family, had sort of uh, carried that on and, and, and raised you in that atmosphere so that it, it, it feels like a, a solid through line. Am, am I correct? Yeah, I think so. Everything from my family to um, my church, growing up in the Episcopal Church, I think that's a, a really strong theme. Um, I think in my academic training in college uh, as an American studies major at an Episcopal school, the University of the South in Suwannee, Tennessee, um, where you're supposed to get educated um, and go and do wonderful things and have a great job, but also be an upstanding member of the community and, and citizen um, and child of God, and that you just have an obligation to participate and be generous and give back. And I think so, just kind of all of that is, I can't, I can't point to one particular influence, but just sort of all of it. Do you feel like along this way, and you're, now you're volunteering for Deval and Will, we'll get into that a little bit, um, but do you feel like there have been one or two mentors that stood out to you as sort of the things that kept powering you through when, because you're out here, you're alone, right? Or were you um, connected to who is now your husband even by then? Um, I, mean, I think I've had awesome mentors and friends along the way, some here, some not here. Um, I've, I have had almost exclusively really outstanding bosses every step of the way. Um, in pretty much every job I've had, uh, my sort of immediate boss and my boss's boss have just been generous, incredibly generous and supportive. And uh, everywhere I've gone, I have been so lucky to land in an environment where you show up and you step up and you do some things and people are really willing to say, okay, well, here's another thing that you can, you can do. Can you help with this? And, um, and just being very open about opportunity uh, and being very open to suggestion about, you know, when I have said, well, I really want to do this. Is that an option? Um, I've, I, I've infrequently run into a wall where someone has said, Nah, you really, that's not really an option for you. And I think that women uh, sometimes forget. <laughs> I, I was certainly raised not to ask. <laughs> Don't ask for more than, you, you know. <laughs> get, I think a lot of times uh, we're, it's, it's easy to get fearful in your job. <laughs> and you forget to ask. And um, I think... I think managers are eager for people who are eager for opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I do believe, like you, that they'll be generous if you say, I want to step up, I want to do more. Yeah. And the, I, it, it's been the, my experience that anytime I have wanted to step up and do more, and there's been room for me to do that, I've also been um, really supported with 
spent my boss's time and resources to do what I needed to do well. Uh, and has, I have really never been put in a situation where you're like, okay, great, step up, and then left me hanging. Uh, and that, that's a great gift, because I think uh, that is not true for everybody. It's like one thing to get the opportunity, but then it's another thing to get the support to make the most of that opportunity. Uh, and so uh, it's definitely taught me a lot about being a manager and being a boss. Uh, as I've sort of moved into that level in, in my career, is yeah. how do I create opportunities for people or create a culture where people feel like they can ask for more or that there's, there's more that they can do and that they have opportunities for growth and um, how do I m make sure that they have what they need to succeed? And, and as it turned out, that, that one email to Duval got you into the, into the campaign Full yeah. on, and by the end, what was the title that you held with Duval Patrick? Uh, I ended up working in uh, in his campaigns and administrations for nine years. <laughs> I think I may have had nine different roles over nine years, beginning with volunteer. And here's where it really helps to have a funny name. <laughs> um, and so when I sent that email, it was the treasurer of the campaign who got it, and she wrote me back, and she's like, "This is an odd question, but did you recently graduate?" From the Kennedy School, which I hadn't said anything about in the email, uh, I said, "Yeah, that yes." And as a matter of fact, how did you know that? And she said, "Well, I used to work at the Kennedy School, and I recognize your name, and so you can certainly come Xerox checks. That's fine. We need somebody to do that, but there's probably more that you can do. So I'll introduce you around, and you know, and I'm, I'm just sure. Wow. And just kind of yeah." How can all of us, we all have to come up with funny names? Right. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> there's really no pattern yeah. that we can follow. Oh, I know. <laughs> serendipity. Um, so she introduced me around, and one of the people she introduced me to was Liz Morningstar, who was the finance director of the campaign and uh, in charge of raising all the money. And Liz... Uh, very quickly, is one of those great bosses and mentors who kind of said, here's an opportunity. I get that you've never worked on a campaign before. You've never raised money before, but it's not that hard. I can teach you. Come work here. Wow. Uh, and so I got a job as a deputy finance director it is, on the campaign. It's those moments, isn't it? Yeah. It's like you, you can almost visually see a step going in an upward direction. Yeah. Absolutely. And she could have easily looked at me and my resume and like, that's adorable that you want to be involved in a campaign, <laughs> but we're in a position where we really need people who know what they're doing. And, um, and so thank you uh, for volunteering and we will enjoy you as a volunteer. Um, but she didn't do that. Yeah. She, um, she offered me a, a job and then was one of those people who gave me the generosity of their time and their expertise and the resources I need to do that, that job well. And Is she still in politics? Um, not formally, but I think you know, once you're in, you kind of can't, you ever, can't ever stop. <laughs> uh, she went on to do a number of really awesome things, including being the, um, the person behind and in front of the establishment of the Boston Public Market here in, in Boston, um, and uh, she ran that for a couple of years and has uh, since moved on to do some other stuff, but 
Um, and she they, worked for Duvall for, for several years. You move on because um, Duvall is no longer governor. Yeah, so I worked in his administration. I worked in his first term in um, his budget office where my boss was a guy named Jay Gonzalez. You'll notice his name come back up again in my current role. Uh, and I remember at the time he was the assistant secretary for capital finance and he hired me as a policy analyst. Again, one of those things where I didn't really have on paper the experience necessary to be analyzing the Commonwealth's debt, but he took a chance on me and gave me the generosity of his time and expertise and, um, and created a, a situation where I could um, do really well. So he hired me and I said at the time, if this man ever runs for office, I will drop whatever I'm doing and work for him because he was exactly the kind of leader um, very much in the Deval Patrick mode that just has a vision for what government can be and do um, and is also just good people. I mean, he's just one of the best and brightest people I know and that's saying a lot because I know some really outstanding people. But um, I, then, I went, after a couple of years at ANF, I went and worked on Governor Patrick's re-election campaign, helping raise money for, for that effort and then went back into the administration in a different secretariat. I was chief financial officer for the state's energy and environment secretary. Um, it's and, um, and I and I you'll have to forgive me because I keep interrupting, but we could we could just go through your resume for days mm. because it's really very good and <laughs> and really really interesting. But what's what's fascinating is just, and I think that this is a really powerful message for right now is the inherent decency that you're describing in government from the core of it, mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people felt for a long time here in Massachusetts um, was the way that government was. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there are people who, you know, there are, I know there are two sides to this story, but we are living in Massachusetts where there is fear on whether or not that exists anymore in government in a in a broad scale, and mm -hmm. it's nice to hear your stories of these people who are still powering it, who are still coming out and and delivering that message um, to yeah. everyone. And it's at every level of government. I mean, it's there's an important role that elected officials play, of course, but really, government happens every day with thousands of people going to work and doing their jobs. And I think, you know, the, the not generous view of government is that it's a bunch of hacks and bureaucrats who's pushing paper and making things difficult. And, um, and sure, in every government, there's some of that, but it is the exception, not the rule. And government is full of just wonderful, decent people who go to work every day because they truly believe that they are making a difference in the world. And, and I think that my first kind of understanding of that was when I was at the Kennedy School in very early days there. I went to some sort of career panel thing and a bunch of super famous, wonderful folks who had been in and out of all kinds of levels of government were up there. And they were talking about, you know, here is our sage advice to you, young idealistic people, about what you can do with your life. And I think, I, um, I think it was a former senator 
who stood up and said, you know, so many of you, you're sitting here right now and you think that the be-all, end-all of what you are going to accomplish in your career is that job in the White House or that job in Congress. And like, if you can just get there to those two buildings, that is, you will know you, will, you have succeeded. And that is great. But you know what? Honestly, most of you are not going to go do that. There are not that many of those jobs. And if you really actually want to make a difference in government, run for your local city council or your school committee. Or it is, you know, as our local friend Tip O'Neill said, all politics is local. Um, and the things that really make a difference for people are very, very local. And he said, you know, if you really want to get, feel like what you do on a day-to-day -day basis matters, to real people who live next to you, get involved in local government. Um, and that is kind of what made me take a look at a governor's race as opposed to a presidential or, or something kind of bigger where I think I probably otherwise would have looked. Uh, say, you know, that seems like about the right amount of large-scale impact, but in a concentrated geographic area where you really feel like what you do um, daily makes a difference for people. So you've gone back into that. So but I, I do want to say, um, before we get into that, and I do want to, I want to talk about Jay a little bit, but before we get into that, I want to interrupt all of this by talking about the fact that in the midst of this sort of trajectory, mm -hmm. you also have a husband and two children. Yes. And a life. Yes. Um, and, and that carries with it its own challenges and mm -hmm. schedules and and an active role in the church and uh, from just from experience I know a great variety of friends um, I, the the issue of balance always comes up um, and it's really easy for people to defer and just say you know I don't have time and end up going to bed early or or um, maybe even complaining about it. How do you handle it without sort of imploding? Oh, um, well, there might be more imploding than you think. But um, I was a, one, a writer on time management and productivity and stuff that I really, really like is a woman named Laura Vanderkam and um, highly recommend her blog and books. One of the things she says about time is it's really... It's incorrect to say that I don't have time for something. You have time for pretty much anything you want to do. The more accurate statement would be, it's not a priority. Um, and so I just think about you know, how I spend my time and what it says about what my priorities are. And uh, an interesting thing about the word priorities is that it's really, that's sort of an inaccurate word. You can only have one priority. By, by definition, it can only be one thing. But um, I think there's room in life for a lot of things. And some days are all work and no play, and other days are all play. Um, most days are somewhere in the middle of a little bit of work, a little bit of kids, and husband, and fam other family, and friends, a little bit of volunteering, civic engagement, 
a little bit of a lot of things. It just kind of, it all works. And you know pretty quickly when it's not. Where, are, where do you find you meet your, your closest friends? Um, I have had made many of my closest friends through work. Because uh, you just kind of by nature spend a lot of time there. And I've been really lucky along the way to work with such outstanding people that they were the kind of people I wanted to be friends with and was happy to mix friendship and professional relationship. Um, I think some of my other greatest friends around our neighbors. Um, you know, the longer you live in a place, the more you just get to know the people around you. Also made a ton of really great friends um, on a whole different, deeper level of friendship through church. So let's segue into uh, Jay. Yeah. And, and um, leave him as our last topic for today because I could go on for hours with you. Um, tell me about how you landed into this particular role now. And um, I think this is a really good moment to, to be sharing with us, you know, the idea of a leader who actually wants to be in government to make things better. Mm -hmm. um, but tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, you know, election night in November, I was not super excited about how that turned out. Uh, I'm still not excited about how that turned out, and I'm concerned for our country, of course. Um, but one of my personal mottos is that to notice is to volunteer. And you don't get to just sit on the sidelines and gripe about that you don't like this particular government or administration or policy. Um, it's on you to do something about it. Uh, I moved to Washington, D.C. on Election Day in 2000 from my home state of Tennessee, where I had early voted for Al Gore. And I was so excited. I thought, oh, I'm going to go to Washington. And I'm going to have a home state president, and that's going to be great. I, my TV was the first thing I unpacked. And I watched it all night long, and my mother, who helped me move, said, you've got to turn that thing off because this is not going to be over tonight. Um, you cannot stay up until it's over. And sure enough, it was not over for a couple of months. Uh, but I was very surprised, and I thought, well, I voted. Um, I don't understand. Like, I voted. And then I was living here in Boston in 2004. Again, home uh, state candidate, John Kerry. And I, I thought... You gotta be kidding me. I voted, <laughs> really, again with this? Um, but at that point I had a lot of friends because I was at the Kennedy School who were actively involved in volunteering, going up to New Hampshire and door knocking and doing all the things that, that you do. Uh, and it was kind of after that that I thought, all right, I don't get to complain about how these elections turn out if I'm not actually participating in them. And it's not enough to vote. It's necessary, but not sufficient. Um, and so I went into campaigning and, and government. Um, at the end of my time in government, um, I was actually really excited to go work for a small, local nonprofit, uh, really making a difference uh, on a very personal and individual level called Science Club for Girls, which is how you and I know each other, of course. Uh, but then came up to another election where I was like, you got to be kidding me. Really? I voted. And I had not been as, in, <laughs> as involved in this election because I was in a job where I felt like I really needed to be focused on that job and not be political. Um, but I just thought, you know what, this, I got to get back in. This is, this is the time. Um, my children are old enough that they're not teeny tiny um, and super hands-on 
every minute of every day. And so I feel like I have the capacity to do a campaign job. Um, and my husband and I were sort of already talking about it and thinking about like, okay, this might be the time to jump back in when I got a call from Jay to say he was um, thinking about running for governor. And I said, well, you know, I did say a long time ago, if you ever ran, I would drop whatever I was doing. Uh, and he said, great, because that's, um, that's going to have a bearing on the rest of this conversation. <laughs> and he said, what, what do you want to do? And again, this is one of those times, it's a theme in my career where somebody says, what do you want to do? And there's kind of one thing I want to do. And I say it, and he said, okay. And I said, well, I really want to be involved in policy stuff. I mean, I have experience in fundraising, uh, but I'd really like to get into the substance. Um, and he's got experience in that, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. He was the state secretary of administration and finance in the Patrick administration for, I think he served as secretary for three and a half years, and he was undersecretary and assistant secretary for several years most before of that. Us, most of us don't get what all of what that, that does. Yeah. How does that, what does policy do, and how does policy connect to what he's done before? Uh, you mean what does policy do? Like my yeah job. Like, job? like what is what is directing public policy? Because really, frankly, I you know I was into government and I never really fully understood. Mm -hmm. I think where it's so many different things. It's big and small. Um, it's everything from helping Jay think through areas where he has really strong values and opinions and experience like early education and care is a huge priority for him he was chair of the state board of early education and care for for several years and it's a passion for him and he has really a solid understanding of that area and what needs to be done to improve early education for all kids in our commonwealth uh, and so in that sense it's helping her listen to him uh, and where he wants to go finding some additional information to flesh it out, uh, helping connect him to people who are leaders in that field um, and getting him briefed on different areas, um, vetting our ideas, um, and kind of crafting a, a policy package around that, um, and, uh, and listening to not just the experts and the provider community, but also the community of parents and families and kids and uh, community members and employers who Is all that a lot have of extra hours, or do they come into you, or how do you find out? How do you learn? Oh, just listening. Really, the biggest qualification for this job is big ears. <laughs> so do you spend your days sort of walking around the city and going to meetings, finding out things? A lot of meetings, a lot of meetings um, and listening to people. Some of it, uh, people being really generous with their expertise and time and saying, hey, I want to help. I'm excited about Jay and I'd love to help you in this area or that area. Do they reach out to you? Uh, yeah, to Jay directly, to me, to the campaign generally. It's a, it's a growing body so of it's, people. it's not you reaching out to people and trying to figure out how to it's do this? It's also that. It is also a little bit of that. Um, there's some receiving, there's some proactive going out and finding the, the people and kind of understanding who the big players are in, in different areas and um, helping connect there. Jay is wonderfully connected in the community and well, it doesn't yeah. really need me to go run around and tell him 
who to hear from. Uh, he so, could pick up the phone and call. But So you listen to everybody, and then you sort of set a policy agenda for this date that would be the presumed agenda under Jay should he win. Yeah. Is that about it? Mm-hmm. And does Jay have, I mean, is it sort of you and Jay working on this together, or is it something, does he act like a boss? Like, you you put something in place, um, you know, uh, a deck, yeah. and you walk into him and say, oh, okay, I've got it, first first pass at what I think. And you cover all the bases, so health and human services and education, et cetera, et cetera. And this would be his platform, am I correct? Yeah, we're heading toward a platform. It's early days. He just declared in January. Um, so he's been at this for two months, and the election is next November. So we've got some time to figure it out. And I, um, uh, right now, a lot of the work is directional. You know, his kind of his phrase about this campaign and about the kind of governor he wants to be is aim high. And that Massachusetts is, ha, is historically a leader in so many areas. We um, have the first public school, the first park, the first a lot of things. Massachusetts in many, many areas is first and best. Um, and it takes a lot uh, of leadership to make sure we stay there and don't just say, oh, well, okay, box checked. Now we don't have to do anything else about that. Uh, the world evolves and needs change, and there's always more that can be done. Here's the other thing about Massachusetts being first and best in a lot of things is that is at a very high aggregate level, and we are by no means first and best for everyone. Massachusetts has some of the highest wealth inequality in the country, uh, particularly in Boston, uh, that access and opportunity gaps are staggering by income, by race and ethnicity, um, even by gender, and that um, it is really, I think, borderline offensive for us to run around tooting our horn and patting ourselves on the back for being so awesome as a state when there are real people, lots of them, for whom those benefits and that excellence is not their day-to-day -day experience. Uh, and so he's really about aiming high and having a government that works for everybody. And, uh, and so to have that lens of, of justice and vision and leadership um, and sense of responsibility to our community on each of the different policy areas. So well, that'll be interesting to see how, how he how he intends to achieve that. Because yes. we also live in a time where and we don't you know, I know this is early days, but people are fearful that they're gonna be more taxed more in Massachusetts, which you know, we everybody understands how that's that's the challenge is the balance of fairness and equity and 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 who pays for things, but um, but it is early days and there's a lot. But isn't it nice to hear of a visionary who's who's trying to do right with the world? Um, 
trying to run for a major office. Yeah. I'm just I'm excited about Jay in particular because I know him so well and I just think he's going to be a tremendously wonderful governor for our commonwealth. But also in a broader sense, I'm just happy that one of the outcomes of the election is a renewed sense of people ready to engage. Uh, and we are all better for that. So where can people engage with Jay Gonzalez. Does he have a does he have a volunteer email list? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can contact me at Lonsdale at J4MA.com or check out his website. Uh, give us a call, sign up, and we'll get okay. get plugged but in. But this was this was not a plug, believe it or not, for, <laughs> for any government official rather that it was and it You is asked where how he you an people get involved. With, no, indeed, with Jay, indeed, but, and you did absolutely mm-hmm. right. That was that was the answer I was looking for. But it is my job. But do, it is my it is my job to tease. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do what I did in winter of 2006 and send an email to your candidate of choice there we are volunteer at fillintheblank.com and say i want to help and be persistent about what you want to do um show up lace up do the work go get signatures um and 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 do the work and um and participate what what was it? What was the line? The Woody Allen line. Woody Allen said, "99 percent of movie making is just showing up." Yep. So there we are. Mm-hmm. There we are. But it it has been kind of magical for me and really inspiring to listen to you, because I think that anybody that listens to this today, um will feel like I did that you tried very hard to defer all of the accomplishment and all of the things that you're sort of moving on to um, off to the people in your life who are valuable and and have helped you along the way. Um, but your story is powerful uh, and I you know I find it kind of captivating so I hope everybody else will. Thank, Thank you. you. And this was the Smart Women I Know podcast, Lansdale.